Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. Today's guests are Paula Seligson, who covers leveraged finance for Bloomberg News in New York. We're delighted to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. And Aidan Cheslin, who covers telecoms, media and technology for Bloomberg Intelligence in London. Hi, James. Good to be here. We'll be getting Aidan's insight later on in the show. But before we do, Paula Seligson with Bloomberg News. You cover leverage finance in the US, where there's always a lot of drama. Let's start with the high-yield bond market. It recently reopened after the banking crisis, which had shut out issuers for almost a month. How have funding conditions changed for junk-rated companies? Can all borrowers that need cash access it now? How much more expensive is it to borrow? So things have gotten better, but they're still not great. So in the middle of March, during the middle of the crisis with the banks, the average borrowing cost for junk bonds or the average yield, it spiked to more than 9%. That's now fallen to around 8.5% as risk pressures have eased, which has helped a lot. And that's why we've started to see some more companies come to market, because there's also just more stability in general now that we kind of have a sense of what happened with these banks. Um, but, you know, this is still very different than it was in January 2022. It was only 4.5% average yield for junk bonds at that time. So you can tell it's still much more expensive for companies to borrow. And so what we're still really seeing is a bifurcation in the market, um, higher rated, safer, more recession-resistant companies. I think they have a lot more access. But if a company has been really hurt by rising rates, is already very levered, is hurt by inflation, potential recession, those companies are going to have more trouble. So for example, triple C's, which are the lowest ratings bucket, their average yields are more than 13% right now. So other than some energy companies that are taking advantage of the oil price increase, um, the the big junk deal right now that everyone is talking about is Citrix. Can you talk about what that is, why it matters? Yeah, so this goes back to a big theme we covered last fall, which is that basically a bunch of banks committed debt financing for leveraged buyouts and acquisitions before rates rose. Um, And they ended up stuck with a lot of that debt hung on their balance sheets because they couldn't easily sell it to institutional investors. Um, And so there's this huge transaction for the leveraged buyout of a company called Citrix, which does like cloud software uh, technology. And a group of banks led by Bank of America, Credit Suisse, and Goldman Sachs provided $15 billion of debt right before rates increased. And so the maximum interest rate levels they promised the company and the private equity sponsors were just way lower than the market was willing to buy it at afterwards. So the banks were able to sell about half of that debt last September um, at pretty steep discounts to par for $0.92 and $0.85 for the loan and secured bond, respectively. Um, 
but they still had a lot left in their balance sheets. And so they've been slowly chipping away at this over time. And the big news this week is that they were finally able to sell the riskiest final chunk of this, the $3.8 billion second lien piece on Tuesday. The coupon was 9%, which reflects the cap or the maximum interest rates the banks promised. Um, but they had to sell it at a discount of 79 cents on the dollar to get to an all-in yield of about 14%, which is where the market would buy that kind of debt today. And keep in mind, this is pretty risky debt. It was rated uh, basically triple C by ratings agencies. And it's the first subordinated deal we've seen this year, right? Yeah. You know, you don't normally see that. Um, originally, this bond was actually unsecured debt, which means there were no assets directly backing it. And so they kind of changed the structure a bit a while ago to be a second lien debt. So at least it has the second claim on assets backing some of the Citrix debt. But it's still, it's not like a safe, like first lien secured debt you'd want to see for most for most investors right now. And the yield, as you say, 14%, that's the highest in a long time. I mean, I haven't seen that. When, when did we last see yields that high? We last saw a deal um, last fall for AMC Networks. This is the Walking Dead AMC Networks, not the movie chain uh, AMC theaters. Um, and they had a bond that they sold at around a 15% yield. But you don't normally see companies with that risk profile come to the market right now. Things are just so difficult. They're mostly staying on the sidelines. And it's um, less risky companies that are doing that. Um, so yeah, and, and I will say like this uh, Citrix debt, it did receive fairly decent demand. Um, originally, the banks were trying to sell it at around 78 cents, and they were able to bring that up a little bit to 79 cents. And at least as of Wednesday morning after it priced, so it priced on Tuesday, and Wednesday morning, it did trade up two points to about 81 cents in the dollar. But who's buying this stuff? Is it distressed debt funds? You know, it's a mixture. Uh, we're honestly not entirely sure everyone, but we were able to confirm that both Elliott and Carlisle were buying some of this debt. Elliott's very notable because this was a leveraged buyout by Vista and Elliott. So Elliott is essentially buying the debt of some of its portfolio companies um, at a steep discount. And so we'd actually reported last September that when Citrix first came to market and sold a lot of the, the debt, that Elliott bought a billion dollars of the secured bonds to boost its own bet on the company, right? You're the sponsor, you already have done the credit work. And so you already believe in the story and the thesis of this investment. And so it's a way for that type of private equity firm or sponsor, I should say, to, to just basically double down on that kind of investment. Do we expect other deals like this um, to try and get rid of that LBO backlog from last year? Yeah, that's a great question. It's still not easy to sell especially risky debt. And the biggest deal still in the pipeline, well, you have uh, leveraged buyouts of auto parts maker Tenneco and then um, a technology company called uh, Brightspeed. Um, and those are both Apollo LBOs that just banks could not sell that debt last year. And I think those are riskier and will be harder for them to eventually offload. And then one of the other biggest ones is Twitter, right? Almost $13 billion of debt, and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Can you imagine trying to sell Twitter debt right now as Elon Musk is tweeting and adding like the Dogecoin symbol as the home symbol on twitter.com? It's That one's going to be stuck there for a while, I think. So going back to the banks, um, you know, they, as you said, they underwrote as in they promised to give the, the companies this money at a certain level. The market moved dramatically, much faster and more than anyone expected in terms of rates, leaving the banks with this big chunk of debt on their balance sheets. Do they take losses on this? 
They do. And they have taken a lot of losses on Citrix. Um, so with them selling the $3.8 billion of second lien debt on Tuesday at about 79 cents on the dollar, that is roughly losses of more than $670 million. It's hard to know exactly because we don't know exactly how many fees the banks received for this transaction, but it's it's huge, right? And then this comes on top of losses that they've already realized last September when they sold about half the debt back then. So at that time, they sold more than $600 million in losses, or sorry, they, they had more than $600 million in losses. And so, you know, it's hard to know for sure, but I'd say roughly about $1.3 billion or more of losses for these banks for just this one transaction. I do want to put that in context. This is painful. It's not a systemic risk kind of thing, right? It's just a hit that they had to take. It's a lucrative business, but it's lucrative because it's risky. And this was one of those times where the risk turned against them and they had to pay up. Okay, so bank losses, 14% yields, which don't sound sustainable to me. A recession, rates are going through the roof, inflation, you know, there's all sorts of really bad stuff on the horizon. What, what are we looking for next in, in, in leveraged finance? What, what, what are we worried about? I think the main thing is we're trying to see if the new issuance process really reopens or not. We've had a trickle of some high yield bonds and leveraged loans launch new deals recently. But until we kind of get the normal steady pace of, of issuance, it means it's very hard to refinance debt. Right. You're not. And, and so the, the worry is that some companies that might have near term maturities will have issues if there isn't this robust churning market where they can sell debt to refinance their existing bonds or loans. There's also a big question of if the M&A and LBO pipeline is going to restart anytime soon. That often drives a lot of activity in this space. And it's very muted right now, though. Maybe that'll change in the coming months. And then just to come back to one of my favorite nerdy topics, LIBOR transition. Uh, we still have a lot of wood to chop and one quarter left to do it. Uh, leverage loans, about 70% of this $1.4 trillion asset class still needs to make the switch to SOFR between now and July 1st. And then in addition, CLOs or collateralized loan obligations, they're essentially all going to have to flip at the same time on June 30th. So it will probably be fine, question mark. I mean, no one's raising any huge red flags, but it's definitely a big question mark in the market right now. Great stuff. Paula, Paula Selickson from Bloomberg News, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to reading all your scoops on the Bloomberg Terminal and of course at Bloomberg.com. Thank you. Switching gears here a bit, as I mentioned earlier, we're delighted to welcome Aidan Cheslin, who covers technology, media and telecom for Bloomberg Intelligence in London. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, James. So the banking crisis uh, toppled one of the biggest banks in Europe. Um, how has that affected the companies that you covered? Did, they, did everything blow up? Not so much. Um, you know, senior investment-grade telecoms, or TMT, um, has been a pretty resilient space, um, not just through, through the recent banking volatility, but also during uh, the pandemic and the war in, in Ukraine. In fact, Given the, the pressures that the utility companies have faced over the, the last year and a half, it's um, TMT's almost become the, the sort of uti more utility-like sector in, in Europe. Um, I think the exception to that has been uh, the hybrid uh, bond market, the corporate hybrid bond market, which I also cover. Um, and I think there you've seen a huge amount of volatility with the market starting to um, price in a greater risk over a call and extension um for those securities um so that's been that's been much more volatile um and then uh, within my courage universe i think the satellite names as well um there's been some m a there uh, uh with consolidation sort of damaging the credit profiles of some of the major operators there too so let me stop you there what why is this a safe haven why why are these um 
you know, technology, media, telecom, there's so many different companies in there. And, and it seems like a lot of them could be quite volatile, could be quite risky. Why, why, is, why, is, why is this somewhere you should go when there is a financial storm? I think uh, fundamentally the, the flippant answer is people still want to use their phones. Um, but, you know, it's it's um, a sector where we've had um, earnings uh, forecasts upgraded uh, more often than downgraded in the last 12 months. Um, we've had very stable credit ratings. The companies have done a reasonably good job um, of deleveraging when they had to. Um, you know, there's uh, there's there's um, a lot of pre-financing happened, so particularly within the investment grade universe. Um, companies have a very good liquidity and haven't really um, been troubled by um, the, the the smaller new issue market. Um, so all in all, um, the earnings have been very resilient and uh, the companies have, have been able to switch into deleveraging mode when they've had to. And going back to what you said about hybrid, what, what are we talking about here? What, what do we mean by hybrid bonds? So corporate hybrid debt is deeply subordinated, ultra long dated or sometimes undated securities um, with mechanisms for deferral of interest, um, potential for coupon step-ups if, if the bonds are not called on the first call date. Um, so it's kind of corporate's uh, version of AT1, if you like, in a way. Um, and while it's it's kind of become commonplace for banks not to call hybrid debt if it's uneconomic, um, dating back to you know when Deutsche Bank made that shock decision back in 2008 on its lower tier two, um, corporate hybrid debt has, for the most part, um, be called at the first call date with the exception of, of some very distressed situations like the French retailer casino or Lufthansa during the worst throes of the pandemic. Um, but I think the market has started to worry that with interest rates on the rise, um, whether corporates might be tempted to go down that bank route of making more economic decisions about replacing bonds on time. Um, and the market therefore started to price in a greater risk of non-call or even even skipped coupons. So, but why buy them now? Doesn't that whole thing? I mean, eighty ones have been, you know, they blew up. Everyone thought that market was was going to going to die. There's just so many risks out there. Why why buy hybrid bonds now? So our our call has been that that pessimism is a bit overstated, and the reason we think that is, um, corporates issue hybrids for ratings credit. Essentially, um, they get fifty percent. Uh, equity credit from the rating agencies for these bonds. So they're usually done in connection with M&A transactions or perhaps when EBITDA is falling and they want to maintain their credit rating so that they don't have to raise equity or cut dividends or whatever it might be. So you know, if companies start acting um, in, a, in a non-friendly way, start deferring coupons or missing call dates, they start to lose equity credit on these bonds pretty quickly. They start to lose the ability to raise any more of this type of debt very quickly. Um, and then they start to take a hit on the credit rating side of things. Um, so, you know, where you've got companies like in the telecom sector, for example, Telefonica, Vodafone, Orange, big issuers of this stuff, it's a serious layer of their capital structure that would pretty much be rendered useless if they stopped behaving in a, in a, uh, a positive manner. So that's why we think for companies that are reasonably well capitalized and not overstretched um it's still uh, very much within their interest to carry on behaving properly the exception to that i'd say is probably in in the real estate sector where obviously things are balance sheets are a lot more stressed uh, and there's a lot more kind of innovative uh, ways of, of uh, drumming up cash for those kind of companies but within the tmt space we think 
um, there's very few risk uh, risks around uh, deferrals. So borrowers are incentivized to do the right thing, and for for investors, it's just too cheap to miss at this point. Yeah, I think so. When you look at um, you know one of the the metrics we track in our research is we look at where the average yield for European corporate hybrids is, and we compare that to most of this stuff is kind of mid triple B or high triple B companies issuing low triple B or, or mid double B kind of hybrid debt, two notches lower. Um, so what we tend to do is we compare the average hybrid yield to senior double Bs in the high yield index. Uh, and this, as the, the hybrid market kind of matured up until about two years ago, um, hybrids tra- started trading closer and closer and closer to double B high yield to the point where they started trading flat to double B high yield. Um, that's widened back out again. It's almost three to four uh, percent difference in yields. So you're getting investment grade default risk, um, admittedly uh, lower recovery risk if something did go wrong. Oh, sorry, low recovery if something did go wrong. Um, but you're getting paid three or four percent extra over the top of double B senior. Um, we think that's pretty compelling. So looking overall at technology, media, and telecom, Aidan, um, you know, when you look at the single names, um, what do you absolutely love and what do you hate? I mean, as you as you put it, you're, you know, what's your picks and pans in this sector? So we've um, highlighted SES, the satellite company, um, but particularly their short-dated hybrids um, as being particularly dislocated from peers. So SES has obviously um, been subject to some news flow recently around potential M&A. Um, but the important thing for the short-dated hybrids is that this company is in line to receive uh, several billion dollars from proceeds from the, the sale of their C-band spectrum at the end of this year. And the timing of that is going to be just before they have to make a decision on the call um, on that uh, shorter-dated hybrid bond. So we think there's a, a very high probability that, that that bond is called on time, whether it's replaced or whether it's um, just taken out and, and replaced with senior debt um, doesn't really matter. Um, we think that that bond uh, will probably be called and it, it's trading now as if um, it probably wouldn't be. So we think that one stands out. SES, sorry, can you just define what that is and where where it is? SES, yeah, sure. Um, you know, the short dated uh, hybrid calls trading around a Z spread of 400 basis points at the moment. Um, so if you look at other bonds with around nine to 12 months to the first call date, um, so whether it's Vodafone, Telefonica, et cetera, those are trading around 150 to 200. Um, so, you know, you're getting an extra 2% um, on a very short um, duration bond um, for that risk. And what kind of company is it? What, where, where are they um, situated and what do they do? So they're one of the big European satellite operators. Okay, got it. And what else do you like? Sorry, Aidan. So um, remembering what I said about these bonds being rated two notches um, beneath the senior debt, it means a lot of triple B plus companies issue these bonds with triple B minus ratings. A lot of triple B companies issue these bonds with double B plus ratings. Uh, in that latter camp, um, Vodafone has some double B plus hybrids where we think there's a chance that Vodafone's senior rating is going to go up to triple B plus in the short to midterm. Uh, which would obviously raise the hybrids into investment grade. Um, when you look at the difference between where triple B minus and double B plus hybrids trade, it's around 150 basis points, 100 to 150 basis points. Um, so we think with the, the possibility of Vodafone getting an upgrade, um, I think Vodafone hybrids are, are worth a look as well um, throughout the curve. And that's a that's a steeper curve than the SES one. So I think 
you know, the, the sort of more mid-dated bonds there are interesting, given they've already um, been doing some liability management at the front end. Got it. What What are the biggest uh, risks right now, Aidan? What, what keeps you up worrying at night? So um, I think although the the sort of M&A risk has diminished in TMT, given the funding situation, I think UTELSAT, which is one of the other major satellite operators in Europe, um, you know, they're, they're doing an M&A deal with uh, OneWeb. Um, and I think that you're going to see a multi-notch credit rating downgrade there, perhaps more than the market is expecting, um, down in, at least into the low double Bs, possibly even into the high single Bs from its crossover ratings at present. Um, so that, you know, that's a, a potential negative. Um, and just as, you know, we were starting to get more optimistic in January and February about primary markets um, for high yield, um, the back with the banking failures having come along, it's kind of uh, cut that dead a little bit in Europe at the moment. So I'd be looking quite carefully at refinancing risk in high yield, um, just as as we were saying earlier on, um, particularly with companies with a lot of short dated bonds or those that become overly reliant on the loan market. Um, you know, several within TMT, several issuers have, have switched into the loan market rather than the bond market. Um, in the last few years, and obviously that comes with a lot shorter dated um, kind of paper in general. And, and I think you know, I'd be looking at, at names like Iliad, maybe Altice, the, the kind of traditional TMT high yield cap structures with a lot of refinancing um, is, is potentially risky the longer this hiatus in the high yield market goes on. Thanks very much, Aidan Cheslin of Bloomberg Intelligence. You can see all of his analysis on the Bloomberg terminal. There's a lot going on, so do check it out. And thanks again to Paula Seligson from Bloomberg News. Read all her scoops on the terminal and at Bloomberg.com. I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next week on The Credit Edge. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.